This is the ESPN Aussie Hoops Hour. Another big weekend of NBL is in the books. Tasmania stake a claim to be the title favourite in the league. Melbourne United, what happened down the stretch at John Kane Arena? Brisbane and Cairns. Aaron Baines versus Adam Ford stole the headlines. We're about to have NBL teams over uh, playing against NBA clubs again, as they do every single year. There are plenty of storylines to get to. Kane Pittman here alongside Olga Nulic, a man who has been very, very busy, and we'll get to some of that as this show rolls on. But I think we should take our opportunity, Olgs, to talk about the Tassie Jack Jumpers. We know that there's going to be lots of fans down in Tassie listening to this podcast, and they'll be very, very, very excited waking up on Tuesday morning after a big weekend. What What is our Tassie fan base like? I I've never dug into the numbers. I'm sure there's like a significant portion of our fan base that's from Tasmania. And to their credit, they had a really good week. Uh, we When we went from the Blitz into the season, we, we spoke about Tassie being one of the most organized teams. They were probably they're one of the teams that it wouldn't surprise me if they continue to be like a top two or three team over the first half of the season, just because they were ready to pounce. It seemed like they had their stuff together. They have their their leader in Milton Doyle and and Jordan Crawford is out there making it tough on other guys. Right? He is just a tough guy to stay in front of. Whatever you think about his shooting, which there are still question marks, whatever you think about some of his decision-making, his ability to create advantages and just get by guys and create open looks for Milton Doyle is incredible. And that's something that Milton Doyle said in the, the press conference after the Melbourne game, that I've never had as open looks as I've had this season. And that's largely because of Jordan Crawford. Um, I have questions that I don't know if you, dis- you disagree with, uh, with regard to Tasmania, but... Good win over Sydney for their home opener, and then a win over Melbourne where I think it was a 20-3 to run in the fourth quarter to end that game. To beat Melbourne in Melbourne, that's just a really good win to have in your pocket in case you lose one of those winnable games down the line. That's just like a really good one to have. Um, how, on a scale of like 1 to 10, how high are you on? Like how, what's the, do you think it's a, a team that can actually go all the way? Yeah, I'm a I'm a nine out of ten. I'm a ten out of ten. I love the Jack Jumpers. You went and from a nine to a ten in like a second. I love this team. I think the changes they made over the off season, mostly bringing in a couple of key local guys. I think that are going to be good for the depth. Plus Marcus Lee, who hasn't really had an impact yet because of foul trouble. I think he can be a big benefit the longer this season goes. But I think that you hit on it. The offense. This is where I think we do disagree. I don't think that there's any questions over the offense of Tassie right now. It's very, very early, and we'll see how all the numbers shape out over the course of the next few weeks. But I think that this now is a team that offensively can really trouble teams. And I think we get far too caught up on the overall points per game. I've discussed this multiple times on this podcast, but you still see it. So Mm. they won both of those games against Sydney and Melbourne. And these are two teams that I think if you're putting your four contending teams in there, Sydney and Melbourne are on everyone's list. The Jack Jumpers just got it done in the same weekend, scoring 80 points. But don't worry about the points per game. It is a stat that there is no point even mentioning. It, it means nothing because you need to look at the efficiency of this Jack Give Jumpers Give me points offense. per possession. So, points per 100 possessions. So the, the point you need to keep in mind is right now the Tassie Jack Jumpers are still playing at the slowest pace in the league, but they are scoring 85 points per game. And I want to use a comparison here, Southeast Melbourne Phoenix. So the Phoenix are scoring six more points per game than the Tassie Jack Jumpers. But if you do on a per possession basis, the Tassie Jack Jumpers are scoring 117 points per 100 possessions. 
the Phoenix are down at 108. So on an efficiency basis, on a per possession basis, the Jack Jumpers are a significantly more efficient offense than Southeast Melbourne at this very, very early stage of the season. So it's just an indicator to show you that you can look at the overall points. The Phoenix have scored over 100 points twice this season, but they are not operating as efficiently as this Tassie Jack Jumpers team so far. And I think that there's been a change in, in the shot selection so far of the Jack Jumpers, and I think it's personnel. I think it's Jordan Crawford, as you mentioned. I think it's Anthony Drimmick. I think it's Majuk Deng. I think they've got guys that want to shoot threes. And so far, this team is shooting 81% of their shots from the three-point line or the rim. Last year, is at 75. I think they're taking better mm. shots, and I think they're scoring more efficiently, and I think that it can last. Yeah, I, I agree the... There's a good point on the the local sort of uh, shift that they've done, where they've they basically traded defense for offense in my mind. Where it's Matt Kenyon is out of there, Sam McDaniel is out of there. They bring in Anthony Drimmick, they bring in Majuk Deng, they bring in these sorts of players. Um, what it, it's so right now they lead the league in offensive rating, right? They are the currently small sample size, it'll very swing. early. It'll swing a lot. It'll but swing, right. but but right now they are the best offensive team. They're, they're playing like the best offensive, offensive team in the league. Uh, defensively, they're sort of middling, it seems. In my mind, when it when things sort of even out, I imagine they'll be a middling offensive team and their defense will get better. That's just my feel on it, um, based, on we know, based on what we know from Scott Roth teams. Um, yeah, it's the best offense that we've seen a Scott Roth team play over his, during his time with the Jack Jumpers which is really interesting. Obviously, a lot of it is on Milton Doyle at the end of games, just absolutely taking over, making right decision after right decision after right decision. Um, my fear with this team, in saying all that and saying how impressive they are and saying how I think they're sustainable. They're a sustainable team that I think is a playoff team. Um, I don't know if the sort of the volume in the scoring is spread out enough for them to be sustainable enough to be a title team to get all the way. I think they get a lot from their top three guys, from Milton Doyle, from Jordan Crawford, from Jack McVeigh. Um, I feel like you need someone else. And is it Marcus Lee when he figures it out and isn't in foul trouble? Is it someone like Anthony Drimmick? Is it Clint Steinle if he gets healthy? I, I don't know, but just right now, just relying on three guys to give you your offense effectively is something that concerns me going forward. So they were sixth in offense last season. In their first season in the league, they were eighth in terms of offensive efficiency. So I don't expect that Tasmania is going to have the number one offense by the end of the regular season. But I do think if they make the jump into being a top four offense, which I think they actually can with the personnel we've described, then I think that that is a big enough leap for this team to get over the hump. Because let's not act like they've been far away over the last few seasons. And to your point... I absolutely trust the defense over the yeah. course of this season. I'm not too fussed about what we've seen in the first few games. Yeah, especially and if they look, if they do remain a top four offense throughout the season, and what we expect is that they're a top four defense throughout the season, then those are the numbers that indicate probably a team that's going to challenge for a title. I just don't know if the offense is sustainable, and I'm very happy to be proven wrong. What we've seen so far has been really great. Uh, Jack McVeigh said in my interview with him at the Blitz that he feels like an import. Hmm. And as of right now, he's playing like it, right? He's hitting shots. He's guarding better than I think we've ever seen him guard. So the pieces are there for them to be really, really good. Uh, I just, I have to, we just have to see a little bit more, in my opinion. So who would you, because I generally agree, and you've heard me say this endless times, that so early in the season, I'm very rarely make any big 
uh, declarations about what I think can happen. But I do feel very confident yeah, about Tassie winning this Tassie team. We're in by the October. It's October 10. Okay. So if someone said to you right now, and again, this will no doubt will change over the next few weeks. So no one's holding to you this, or some people might hold you to this, including me. Uh, if okay. you had to mention three teams right now, then that you feel most comfortable about, again, keep in mind that we've only seen a few games. Who would the three teams be? Uh, it would be uh, New Zealand. It would be Melbourne, and it would be. I don't want to say Tassie just because <laughs> of you, because of you. Oh. It's either Tassie or Sydney. They're very reliable. No, that's and I agree. Yeah. They're reliable because they're organized. Uh, but I just think they're further ahead in their processes than some other teams. For example, I think they're further ahead than where Sydney are. I think Sydney's ceiling is higher. So whether Sydney can get there and whether they can get there quick enough is is a big question. But right now, Tassie is great. As in right now, I have Tassie as like a top two or three team. Whether that changes throughout the season, because I look at a team like Perth as well, which they're they're also a team that I think has a really high ceiling. They just need to get their stuff together. And that's defensively, that's rebounding, that's who where the, where the shots are offensively. Tassie seems to know where all of those things are. They seem really, really far ahead in their processes. Perth, Sydney, these teams, seems like they got a little bit to go, but I think they'll get there. I think the ceiling's high. Not afraid to go on the road, either the Jack Jumpers. They never have uh, throughout their short history. I think that obviously stems from the guys and the personalities they've got in the locker room, but Scott... Roth clearly uh, deserves a lot of credit there. So no surprise to anyone that the Jack Jumpers are very well prepared coming mm-hmm. into the season. I think they've been awesome. And if you are down in Tassie, uh, let us know what you think because uh, I think it's time to just start to get very, very excited. We said uh, pre-season that this is a, a unique situation because the Jack Jumpers haven't been in this position of having the expectations. Well, they've got it because they made a, a very early statement here in round two. But New Zealand is a team that you're very high on. I've got a bit of a question mark over the the big men on this roster now. Let's keep in mind that they lost Derek Pardon and Jarrell Brantley, arguably the best big man duo in the league. In fact, I'm sure a lot of people would make that the case. Definitely the best big man defensive duo. Yeah, and, and I think there is going to be a question mark the longer the season goes on the big man and, and maybe specifically the rebounding and early in the year, they just look undersized. And it's a big loss from where they were at last year. And so far, uh, it's reflected in the rebounding rates, defensive rebound percentage, second worst in the league, offensive rebound percentage, worst in the league. So at the moment, uh, and again, they're one of those teams that's going to the US or they're in the US right now, and they'll have some time to figure it out. Lots of new pieces. So they are a team that I wouldn't panic about. But I think for me, it is a question. Yeah, the, it's weird. They have they have good like positional size. Take out Parker Jackson Cartwright. The yeah, positional yeah. the positional size is really good. Um, but going into the season, I feel like we we spoke about this, and I feel like a lot of people knew this that there was a question mark around that five spot, right? And and it feels almost lazy just to point to like a single position and say hey like that's a problem. But like it's it can be pretty foundational in like a lot of problems that you might have as a team. Um, Mango Matiang is not Derek Pardon from an uh, like uh, from an effect or an impact standpoint, right? He's just not the same sort of guy. Um, and then it's who's after that? It's it's Dane Pino. There's they are really good when uh, Zylan Chatham plays the five, but I don't think he wants to do that all the time. And I think positionally, he, he just he wants to be at the four, and then they want to play him at the four a lot too. And then that brings up the question of the import that they're bringing in. 
Anthony Lamb. So Justinian Jessup uh, had a CT scan yesterday that he has like a hip injury that will have him out for a considerable amount of time. Uh, they have brought in Anthony Lamb initially as an injury replacement for him, but Anthony Lamb is expected to be with them for the rest of the season. He has NBA, NBA outs in that, uh, which may come to fruition down the line, but he's expected to be with them. He's like a 6'6", He's like a four-man. Um, I'm curious as to why this team didn't take this opportunity to go and get an import five. Um, I understand that it's, it's not easy just to say, all right, go get a Derek Pardon, right? These like these players can be expensive. They might not be out there. They might not be available. But that just felt like an obvious need that they needed to fill. And it was curious that they brought in a position that they've like mm. they're really solid in. They have they have Zylan Cheatham and Finn Delaney as their like versatile four men. Um, it's curious that they brought in another unless they're just leaning the hell into a style of play that's just play all these guys with like decent positional size, switch everything, and just see how it goes. Yeah, it's a good point you made about, in general, the size and, and being able to play big across some of the other positions. And uh, just quickly, Will McDowell-White was unbelievable in his first game back. And I was a little bit concerned that there was a little bit of jinx factor going on because I did tweet about Will McDowell-White. You know what happened like the next possession? Uh, he was off the court, <laughs> holding his wrist and hand. And we know he's had the, the injury that held him out of round one. And to be fair, it looked like he was probably back sooner than he needed to be. I understand he only practiced once or twice with the team and he wanted to be out there. Now, he looked great. But he played clearly, in the second half. He was okay. He came back, yeah. yes, which I was very relieved about. And yeah. he looked awesome again. Yeah. He looked like their best player by far, to be yeah. clear. Uh, but it looks like he's going to be playing through some pain. And it will be curious with these games in the NBA or against the NBA clubs playing in the US now. This is always a talking point. I don't know how to feel about it. I look at this from both ways. And from the league and from the players that potentially want to showcase and have an opportunity to play in the US unbelievable i don't know if i'm a cairns taipans fan or a new zealand breakers fan if i want the team playing two rounds uh looking pretty good starting to figure things out and then needing to go on on a plane across the other side of the world i'm not sure if i put myself in the shoes of those fans that that's the exact uh continuity i would like yeah so like the the two different ways you could look at it from like a basketball perspective like leaving in the middle of or like while you as you've already begun the season, probably not great. There's travel that needs to be taken into account. The obviously load on your body playing in a forty-eight, playing in two 48-minute games, right? I understand it from that perspective. I also understand it from uh, it is a cool thing for these NBL teams to be exposed. Mm-hmm. It is good for the league to an extent. Uh, it is cool for the players who get an opportunity to play against NBA guys, potentially sort of expose themselves to NBA executives and, you know, maybe... Taron Armstrong, maybe there's an NBA executive who says, oh, I like, look at his mm-hmm. positional size, look at the way he's playing, how good. Right, same with Will McDowell-White. Right? I get he's sort of still fighting through a little niggling hand injury, but a team can look at him and say, that is a big point guard who's controlling everything. Yes. We want a version of that. Um, so I get it from that perspective. Um, and I also get it from a perspective of Cairns, for example. They've just gone through a little situation with against Brisbane. Mm-hmm. Um, there is There will be some fines given out and there is a tribunal and all that. This is just them. They get a little... T- they get some time away, right? This is a good way just to unwind. On one hand, that they're also 2 and they, want, they were 2-0 this week, right? So maybe they wanted that momentum to keep going, but they get a little break after it was a really dramatic time. Same with New Zealand. Coming off a loss against the Brisbane Bullets, 
you think that, you know, maybe we need some togetherness here. We need to figure out a way to come together. Maybe going to Portland, seeing Ryan repair, everyone's really happy. Maybe this is a way to do that. So I get it from, from both perspectives. If I was running a team, I don't want to be part of these games. You put a team together to win an NBL championship, right? You need your players to be healthy for that. You need everyone primed to go and do that. This is, uh, I don't want to say, <laughs> this is uh, almost a distraction to the, to the real goal. Well, the good news for me is I'm not a fan of uh, any team, so I can sit back on the couch and I'll enjoy <laughs> watching these I. games. Uh, very much so. So I'm yep. going to enjoy the experience as I do every single year. It'll be fun to get to one of these games at some point in time. But uh, just to wrap this one up, I, I did have a conversation a couple of weeks ago with someone from a team, we'll leave it at that, who said that they were very happy that it was New Zealand and Cairns going because they are two teams that they expect to be in the playoff mix and they think that it could just disrupt things enough because we understand that finishing top two, there is a a nice advantage with the way the playoffs are now set out. So we'll see how those two teams come back, but no question there'll be lots of people watching those games. Uh, you mentioned the Cairns Taipans. Now, they did have a big win over Brisbane and keeping in mind that we're recording this podcast at around 12.30 on Tuesday uh, afternoon, So I, I don't want to get into the details of what could happen because I suspect by the time a lot of people are listening to this, uh, there will be some news and there'll be further additions to be made. So maybe uh, for the sake of time, it doesn't make sense to do it now. Uh, what I will ask though is uh, a couple of days after the incident and you've been speaking to parties from both sides and getting both sides of the argument, uh, how do you look at the actual incident itself? Uh, on the court or off the court? Well, I guess there's two parts, isn't it? But away from the investigation, how did you just see how it all played out? Um, so it's interesting. So you got so for those who don't know, Aaron Baines in a really physical rebound contest, right? Gets elbowed in the throat by that man, right? He is incensed because of that, and so he directs that ire toward the officials. He did that in a really aggressive way. He cannot act that aggressively toward a ref, right? He had to be held back by his own teammates. Uh, he looked. It looked quite scary, to be honest. Uh, he obviously cannot act that way. Uh, and then, as the teams both went to the locker room, uh, weirdly down the same tunnel, uh, Aaron Baines seemingly like waited for Lat Mayan, and they were sort of shoulder to shoulder as they walked into the locker room, exchanged some words. They went back and forth, and from what I understand, they just separated. Uh, and then came the alleged physical confrontation where the bullets alleged that Adam Ford confronted Aaron Baines. It led to a physical altercation that I'm told ultimately led to Fordy being thrown into a wall or into a door or something like that. Um, basically, like you you can't... If you're, if you're a coach, you can't put your hands on a player. If that is what happened, you shouldn't confront a player uh, off the court. That obviously cannot happen. Uh, obviously... Any whoever instigated any physical contact or violence or anything should obviously be reprimanded for that accordingly. Um, I imagine this will eventually blow over. Uh, Stu Lash, the senior basketball advisor for the Bullets, obviously put his hat in the ring and mm. has been very, very much on the front foot of saying, you know, this is on Adam Ford. This is a continuation of a brand of behavior that we've seen and. Uh, that he should be suspended multiple NBL games, right? He said that, he told ESPN that. Um, the NBL is in the middle of its tribunal process. They're getting statements from players and from 40 and everyone. So there will be an outcome here, and, and I don't think it's going to be controversial. It's going to be, yeah, this was something that cannot happen. 
and the outcome of these like disciplinary measures will mean that it won't happen again. That's that's my feel on it. Um, it was the the pit the thing that annoyed me or that was weird to me was if you're Adam Ford, like why would you even engage in a potential sort of confrontation with a player? Go to your locker room. Everyone just go to your locker rooms. We don't, we don't need this, right? Ben Simmons said this a few years ago. No one's really going to fight on the court, right? And generally, that is what happens. No one really fights. Everyone sort of mans up, chest out. No one fights. Just go to your locker rooms. Go play the game. Go win. And to Cairns credit, they won the game. The two uh, points I would make about the incident, the first one is just with Aaron Baines and the physicality that he plays through. And he plays with physicality, make no Mm -hmm. mistake. But he plays through physicality as well. And if you watch close enough and if you're in the building and you get a chance to see it, I'm not saying that that is something that everyone wants to see, and particularly the frustration with officials, all those types of things. But it's been coming for a while, I would say. And he, whether it's an elbow to the throat or it's an elbow somewhere else or it's being shoved or it's being grabbed or it's being pulled, it happens every night because of how big this man is and the required effort it takes to try and shift him out of box-out scenarios. So... I had felt on several occasions over the last year that he's been in the NBL that there might have been a situation where this could potentially boil over the frustration, particularly when he's getting no calls. And a lot of times, if you watch basketball long enough, you'll know that little guys get away with stuff on big men. So I wasn't totally surprised that the frustration boiled over from Aaron Baines. That's the first point I'd make. And then just with Adam Ford, I agree with all the points you made. You wouldn't like to see a coach not... Adam Ford specifically, because I I don't know what happened, but any coach get involved in that type of manner. But we also do know specific to Adam Ford that he will stick up for his players. And I don't know in this particular instance, but I don't think that any of the Cairns Tarpans players would be too upset that, again, Adam Ford continually will put himself in perhaps the situations where he will publicly or behind the scenes defend his guys. So that, that there is there is like a, a public narrative that exists that is along those lines, right? How good Adam Ford sticks up for his players, and and that's and I'm not saying it's right or wrong. Um, if it was Chase Buford, yeah, that's right, and and it was Bryce Cotton, would he be given the same grace? I think the answer is like obviously no. People would say, "How dare you? You you cannot do that," right? And that's where that's where I am in this. It's like there's like a political game that you play where it's oh imagine if your political opponent did this, would you actually stand for this? I don't think people would. So if you look at this situation in a vacuum, I think there there have to be some things that are sort of like non-negotiables and like not tolerable. And I think if if someone if a coach went out of his way to go and confront a player in a tunnel, an opposing player in a tunnel, I think that's just an obvious like no go zone. Of course. <laughs> I totally yeah. agree. To even, be clear. even if he is like, quote unquote, sticking up for his players. Because if if you feel like you would get aggrieved if Chase Buford did it, then you should be aggrieved if, if this happened. I agree. But we also know that that is because of the Sydney Kings and this is the Cairns Taipans and there's different teams and there's different levels of, of yeah. perhaps hate or distaste for certain clubs around the league from fan bases, generally oh, the no, bigger totally. teams. Yeah. So, I think that's why that would clearly be the case. I was just making the point that I'm not sure whether the players. Oh no, of course they would have. Presumably, they would have appreciated. That's right. Yeah, thank you, coach, for staying up for me. In my mind, it's if if that is what happened, 
what are you standing up for? Aaron Baines didn't really do that much to yeah, Taipan's players. Totally. If, if anything, the officials have the biggest gripe here. Um, and then, and then to your point, um, I wonder if there will be sort of conversations among the officials with regard to how Aaron Baines is officiated, and maybe keeping a closer eye on, hey, like there is excessive contact here that we're not really noticing because he's obviously mm-hmm. a large gentleman. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wonder if things might change because of this. Yeah, small term pain. Potential long-term game for the Brisbane Bullets. We'll see because they have been very good. They did lose that game uh, in a tight one to the Cairns Taipans. The Taipans picked up two wins on the weekend. And now we'll watch a lot of these young players, as we already mentioned, over there uh, against the NBA clubs, which is going to be exciting. At Perth Wildcats, we discussed them quite a bit. We wrote about this in our headline or storyline column on ESPN.com.au, which we're going to have up every single Monday Uh we are both a part of that, and so is Peter Hooley, who we know does an outstanding job on the NBL broadcast. The simple question we asked was, Alex Saar, should he be starting? Let's have a little bit of a, a bigger conversation on this now, because I think that certainly from people that I spoke to, whether it was at the Wildcats or a little bit closer to the situation, or just general people that, that follow the league and have followed his progress, there's no doubt, I think that he is better than advertised sooner than expected. Yes. he. I did not think he would make this bigger impact right now. I thought mid-season, if he can get to some version of his ceiling or close to it, awesome, right? That's a really cool thing for the Perth Wildcats. Uh, whether he got there this early was, was always a question. And he's just, he's just obviously already there, which is, which is great for them. Um, but then it brings up these questions which is, should he be starting? Should he be playing more? Uh, right now, he's averaging just under 18 minutes a game, right? For what is one of your best players and one of your most effective players? The team is better offensively when he's on the floor. They're better defensively. I also think he just match, He just uh, complements the guys really well. And we saw at the end of that game with Bryce Cotton and sort of the pick and roll between those two. That's really, really hard to guard. I, I think he should, if he's if not starting, and I think he should be starting, but if he's not starting, he should at the very least be playing more. So I asked someone that is far more versed in the uh, world of scouting for the NBA than I am, and I just said, what do you think happens if Alex Saar starts to eat into the minutes of Keanu Pinder this season? And this was after a very early sample size of being very impressed by this man and seeing him up close and personal last week was ridiculous. He is a crazy, crazy athlete and someone that everyone should try and see uh, in person if they can this year when he's in your town. Uh, and the answer was, well, that's not going to happen. I, I can't really see that being the case. But to your point, if Pinder is at, at around 21 minutes per game off the top of my head. Uh, he's around that mark, but he's been getting in foul trouble. That was certainly the case uh, in the last game that they played. So it might mean that the key to these guys, to Alex Saar, A, starting, but B, increasing his minutes is playing more alongside Keanu, Keanu Pinder. And so far, they've played 35 possessions together on the floor. That's via Spatial Jam. I think John really is trying to feel it out and see how it all works. He certainly spoke on the record and said that he's intrigued by the possibilities and has been uh, impressed with what he's seen in a small sample size. I, I think it could help the defense for sure because I think already Alex Saar has proven that he's, a little, he's an intimidator around the mm. rim. Offensive players are aware when he is in the vicinity as a shot blocker. Uh, I think offensively, the question will be, can those guys coexist on the floor together? 
at the moment, you mentioned the minutes that Alex Sarr's playing. I mean, he's putting up 12 points in 17 minutes. He is scoring at a ridiculous rate. He's at 71% from the floor. He's at 67% from three. <laughs> so that's not going to last. Yeah. But his ability to knock down the outside shot, if he can keep doing that at a decent clip, then I think it does help the possibility of those two coexisting offensively. I think so too. And, and the possessions that we've seen with Pinder and Saar, uh, the they haven't been amazing. As in, I don't think the numbers indicate no, no. what I think they should be. It's probably a bit noisy, but yeah. Yeah. Um, but I'm I'm curious as to how that grows, though, because I actually think their um, their skill sets complement each other, right? And so I, I'm, I, I think it can work. I understand the sort of sentiment of Christian Doolittle mm. uh, coming in and he's a bit more of a veteran presence than Sari's, probably more versatile, from, from what they want from that spot. I think they think they have a lot of talent elsewhere. So someone like Doolittle is just a connector, someone who can guard multiple positions. I, I get wanting to have him there. And he's been solid. Yeah. Um, but I think Saar gives you just a bit more, bit more punch. Uh, I think he compliments Keanu. I think he compliments Bryce. I, ju- I just think he can... You're just, you're, you have more pop with him in that, in that lineup there. And it also means he's just going to... More reps, he's just going to keep getting better. And I think what he could be three quarters down the line this season could be incredible. It could be so much better than what we're seeing now, which is which is insane to think about. So it's only been a couple of games. I'm trying to think now off the top of my head, have we seen those two play many minutes down the stretch? I don't think so. The other night, uh, Pinder obviously fouled out. So yeah. Alex Saar was out there. He knocks down the two big threes. Yeah. Uh, we've seen them... Switch a, a little bit, so maybe uh, Saar will play a few minutes down the stretch, and then Pinder will come in to close, which I think is probably where they're at right now. I think you're right, though. Doolittle obviously makes sense to, to be the guy to come out of the starting lineups. And then you're looking at Cotton, uh, Corey Webster, Jordan Nasha, Alex Saar, Keanu Pinder, a really big team. Also helps the rebounding for this team and and the defense. Two things that we've spoken about. So, yes, asking a lot of a guy that is so young. Uh, but so far, it's it's hard to be any more impressed with what we've seen. And John really spoke about it after uh, Tyler Cook dunked on Alex Saar, that there will be a target on his back. Of course, yeah. And if he wants to be a projected number one pick, which he's hovering around that area, then you need to be able to sort of step into the fire. And so, I mean, if, if he wants to be a top five pick, throw him into the fire, see what happens. Like If he can handle it, then you have a, a top five pick playing for you down the stretch and the the impact he can provide for you could be so immense. And I, and the, the question is whether you think giving reps to Alex are now where there may be some teething that comes from it, but three quarters down the line, you're going to have one hell of a player. Is that player going to be uh, more effective on both ends for you and a more impactful guy than what Christian Doolittle will be going forward? And Christian Doolittle could be a, perfectly reasonable dude to come mm-hmm. off the bench and still play bulk minutes because they do like him defensively. So it's a really good problem to have for John, really. And uh, the beauty of the NBL, the schedule's not too hectic. You're only playing one, max two games yeah. a weekend. He's a, he's a young fella, so you wouldn't be too worried about that because sometimes, you know, certainly in the NBA, that, that is a, a big load that the guys uh, take on there. So I think for the most part, all the stuff we've spoken about on this podcast is just watching storylines and things that we find interesting throughout the season. I probably went a little bit harder on Tassie than I anticipated (laughs) coming into this podcast, but I'm sticking by it. But one storyline that I've had on watch, and we haven't got to this team yet, 
And to be fair, we normally get to them a little bit earlier. Melbourne United, you were in the building for that Tassie Jack Jumpers game, that incredible fourth quarter. What what do you think or what do you see happening with this team in the fourth quarter? And this might be something that I'm more fascinated about than anyone else. I'm not sure, but I'm just fixated on what Dean Vickerman and Melbourne United are going to do down the stretch in fourth quarters with lineups in that game. We saw Ian Clark. He played uh, down the stretch with Shay Illy and obviously Chris Golding was out on the floor and Daly was on the bench for the last four minutes. And in the last four minutes, they were outscored 12 to three. There are no question going to be some decisions to make. And ultimately, there's going to be players that are going to sit on any given night that are definitely not used to being on the bench down the stretch of games. Yeah, and and I don't... There's no fix here. You can only put five dudes on at once. Yeah. Right? And so if Ian Clark... Ian Clark was playing really well. Yep. He was playing really like really solid basketball. It was his first game back from an injury. He hit some big shots. Um, so I get it. Keep him on. Mm-hmm. Keep Golding on as sort of a floor spacer. Should they have run more stuff for him? Probably. Right? He was hot early. They probably should have kept, kept him coming off down screens and turnouts and things like that. Obviously, that should have been the case. Um, so he's on. And then it's... You you have to pick one of Ilian Delhi, mm. and I think whomever you leave off should be aggrieved because yeah. every other team in the league has either Delhi or uh, Illy on the court to end games, right? And so it's just it's a no win situation for Dean Vickerman. You just have to pick one of what is like effectively the same player, which is a defense first. Um, the shot for both guys this season hasn't been falling, uh, but. Mm. You sort of you trust them to hit shots. You you trust them to be your main creator because you have to have Luke Travers on the floor. You have to have either Huck Porty or Rob Lowe on the floor. Like for the balance of the lineup, there just isn't enough space. So I'm not reading too deeply into it. Um, I think this is more a case of uh, them just figuring out what works and what doesn't. I think in hindsight, he would have had both of them on, and I think he would have put Ian Clark on the bench. That's my feel on this. Yeah, I'm not even questioning what did happen in this game I was just very fascinated watching just Mm. to see because I I did think that Daly was going to come back in because he wasn't having a great scoring night uh, only the five points in this game but he did have six assists and there was no one else on the team that had more than two and I actually thought the biggest offensive threat for Melbourne United down the stretch in this game was Ariel Hookporty and his ability to be a role man and just cause chaos because he was drawing so much attention and then I think it does help uh, the outside shooters as well. And Hook Port is going to be a question when JLA comes back in the lineup as well. So we know this Melbourne United team is super deep. I absolutely expect them to be uh, in the mix for top two. I think that they're awesome. But the offense is a little bit of a watch because I think part of the reason why you have Ian Clark in there to close is because you felt that maybe you didn't have enough outside shooting. Daly wasn't having a great night scoring a ball. So I do mm. think offensively, uh, there are some questions and I don't necessarily think that it's anything that you'd be super stressed or losing sleep about but I think it's definitely worth watching yeah so two things uh one it's better than what they had last season which was no point guard and having to throw Xavier Rattan Mays out there who's probably he's not like a a point guard per se he's more of like a, a scoring combo sort of guy so you'd rather have this situation where you have to make a tough decision as opposed to not having any decision to make and then the other one is if you're gonna have Chris Golding out there if you're not gonna run stuff for him just put him on the bench. Just bring Ian Clark out there because Tazzy, well, Tazzy was hunting Chris Golding, right? They were hunting him. Anthony Dreaming was taking him off the dribble. Um, they were hunting him to be in those Milton Doyle on balls. And, and Milton Doyle obviously went crazy to end that game 
to to win that for Tassie. I mean, if you're not going to run things for for Chris Golding and just have him as sort of a no leave shooter in the corner, a floor spacer, someone to widen the floor, just let that be Ian Clark or let that be Illy or Delhi, right? I ju- I just feel like if you're not going to utilize him, then you know just don't have him on the floor. Put put in like a, a more of a plus defender out there. Yeah, I didn't actually think. Well, I thought that with the the screen action, I didn't necessarily think that. Chris Golding was a was a problem in the fourth quarter. I thought he defended relatively well, or at least did as well as he could while Milton Doyle was just going sure. absolutely off his nut. But I think uh, Ariel Hookporty was probably uh, the player that it's it's challenging for a seven foot guy to get out to the perimeter, and they they were kept on mentioning it on the broadcast. Uh, and I don't know, do you go even smaller? These are just the questions that they're going to have mm. to think about. Because so, they they'd just given up a lot to Marcus Lee. So in Ariel Hookporty's mind. Okay, I've got to yeah. back off and be prepared for this role, man. Milton Doyle gets a good look. But yeah, do they go do you go small? Do you Luke Travers at the five? They've they've done that in stretches in the preseason. Do you just go to that, switch everything, see what happens? I trust Luke Travers in front of Milton Doyle. Milton Doyle will still hit tough shots. But it might be a tougher shot than him coming off a, an on ball and getting like some daylight. And that's why I wouldn't be too worried if I was a Melbourne United fan because the options are there and the options are plenty for Dean Vickerman and this team. So they're going to uh, be in those situations. But uh, at least for our benefit, we saw a classic fourth quarter from Milton Doyle, who already an All-NBL uh, first-team player and uh, yeah. going to put himself in the MVP mix, I would suspect, the longer this season rolls on. Any final thoughts, Ox? Um, On the back of that, it is really interesting seeing the teams that feel like they're a bit further ahead than others um, and just seeing how long that lasts and mm-hmm. seeing how long it takes other teams to figure some stuff out. So I thought Melbourne came in as a pretty organized team. Mm. I still think there are. They, there are still things to work out, clearly, with that team. But I think their ceiling is super high. Tassie is really organized. I think Brisbane is as well. Um, but then I think teams like Sydney and Perth, these are teams that I think can climb this ladder pretty quickly once they get everything together once they figure out their processes. There, there are still things for them to figure out, but once they do, I can see them overtaking some of these teams that have been strong early. We'll, I think it, it's intriguing to see the trajectory of the growth of a bunch of these teams. Yeah, we didn't really mention the Sydney Kings, actually. It must be, might be a first uh, for yeah. this podcast, but still very high on the Kings and a very fascinating game on Friday night in Brisbane against the Bullets. We'll see who's playing in that game. Uh, later on in the yeah. week, but it'll be certainly one that I'll be sitting down uh, to watch in the doubleheader than Melbourne United, who we've just spoken about. They head over to Perth. This is a venue that they've been uh, very potent in over the years, so that'll be a fascinating doubleheader on Friday night. But it's going to be big, and uh, also the NBL, uh, NBA preseason games, uh, of course, this weekend as well. So plenty of basketball to watch, and you know the ESPN Aussie Hoops Hour is back every single Tuesday And uh, let's face it, we'll be seeing how our opinions and takes hold up uh, the longer these weeks go here. (laughs) But it's been a lot of fun today. And again, the thing is, I think that the beauty of this year's NBL is that we can go back and forth. And we've done this again for about 40 minutes here. We could go for another 40 because I just think that there's so many fun things to look at Mm. in this league, which is why uh, so many eyeballs are on ESPN watching this, this season develop. Yeah, we said it coming in. There's there are no bad teams. There's one bad team, but there's there's pretty much no bad teams. And so every game effectively is competitive in a way. And every little every win you can get, every little advantage you can get, a team will take it. 
And so that that's fun. We're, we're still, man, we're two, week, we're two weeks in, and there's already just absolute commotion going around this league. It's fun. All right. For Kane Pittman and Olga Nulic, we'll leave it there for today. Enjoy the basketball across the weekend. Keep up to date with all the news at espn.com.au. And if you haven't done so yet, subscribe and turn the notifications on to this show so you know exactly when we drop next week's episode. It will be on Tuesday, though. We'll speak to you then. 